to speak to you about our reward as Christians and how that should motivate us as we live. And I'd like to kind of pick up a little bit on some of the things that we sang this morning in the songs that Andrew chose so wonderfully. Um, for those of you that uh, are, have been part of the church for a while, you, you will know that we are absolutely committed to, to the gospel of Jesus, to the grace of God, to living a life joyfully, to living a life out of freedom. And we've said over and over again things like, as you walk by the Spirit deliberately, you fulfill the law accidentally, uh, that holiness happens in our lives, not by us really, really trying hard to be good people, but by the grace of God from the inside transforming us as we simply love Jesus. That's how it works in the Christian life. And um, that's why I want to encourage you every time that we worship that it's not just uh, the, the, the songs are just vehicles for enjoying the presence of God. And, and they are so, it's such a privilege to be able to worship and sing together and be transformed as we do that. And that's a different way of, of, um, uh, of viewing worship, isn't it? Sometimes people can think worship is like the warm-up to get to the preaching. Or, or the worship is there to kind of settle our hearts so that we can focus. And, and that's true. It does do all of those things. But in and of itself, worship is incredible um, privilege and value as it transforms us as we simply worship God. So I want to encourage you. That's why I try, I try to say in the worship, there's always an invitation from God every time we get together to go a little bit deeper with Him, a little bit higher with Him, to open our hearts a little bit more and let Him just encourage us and refresh us every time we worship. Amen? And so this life of um, living by the Spirit is really what I want to talk to you about this morning and to encourage you that there are great rewards for us as we live a Christian life. And I want to start with a quote that has really encouraged me. Um, uh, William Temple was the Bishop of Manchester, uh, and he died in, in 1944. But I read a thing this, this week that really encouraged me. He said this, talking of, uh, thinking about how we can live our lives as Christians, he said this, uh, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do that. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do that. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write a play like his. And if the Spirit of God could come and live in me, then I could live a life like Jesus. Amen. And what he's, what he's trying to say, it's, it's not by trying really hard and, and, and determining to be a good person. No, it's simply opening your heart to the Holy Spirit, loving Jesus with all of your heart. And as He transforms your heart, you begin to come, become more and more like Him. It's by the Spirit that all of these things happen. And, and this is really what... Um, the Holy Spirit does. Uh, the, the Scripture says those of us that are born from above, in other words, born again, are enabled by the Spirit to live like this, uh, live a, like, a life like this, free of striving, free of fear, free of compulsion, free of punishment, the fear of punishment, free of the fear of God's judgment. And we can joyfully walk as we listen to the voice of the Spirit. And there's great joy to live like that. And, and my, the longing of my heart is that every one of us in this church would know what it means to live like that, joyfully, without fear. 
yes? And that those are sa- people that are saved into this church and come to know Jesus would also know that joy and freedom that comes as we walk by the Spirit. And we've been celebrating uh, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and uh, all these things are what w- w- the Reformation celebrates, the Protestant movement. This is what Luther and the others rediscovered when when they uh, read Galatians and Romans, that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is what we've been celebrating. But I want to kind of contrast that with another view of the Christian life that I, I want you to be aware of. And these names might not mean anything to you, but that's not, that's not the important thing. The important thing is uh, you probably know some Christians that live like this. There was, have you ever heard of Pelagius? Anyone? A- anyone heard of Arminius? Okay, well, I'm going to just take a moment to contrast the, the, the life of grace with this view of Christian life. Okay? Now, Pelagius and Arminius, Arminius both represent a, a theology, a way of seeing God, which is synchronistic. It puts two things together. And, and both of these men said that actually our salvation is, is not accomplished solely by what God does. Um, what is more important is that how we respond to God is the most important thing. Okay? And so, in a very, very clear way, you can see right from the beginning, this opposes what um, Paul said and what Augustine said. Augustine was the great, uh, the great doctor of grace, and he, he, he came from, a, he came from a, a, a retrograde background, and he knew there was nothing good in himself that deserved to be saved, and it was solely God's grace and lavish love on his life that reached into his life and transformed his life. And so this is what uh, we believe as Christians. This is what we believe as, as Protestants, that God sovereignly moves in our lives, and He grips our hearts, and He gives us a new heart of flesh, and that new heart of flesh has a desire to love Him. And the old heart that we had before Christ has no desire to engage with God at all. This is what we believe as Christians. There's a new heart that is given to us, and it comes by the power of the Spirit. And as soon as we are regenerated and that new heart begins to beat, we are able to love God and have a relationship with Him. This is what Augustine taught. This is what Paul taught. This is what Calvin taught. Well... Pelagius, he, um, he was a, a British monk. <laughs> he lived in the 4th century. And he said, no, no, these guys have got it all wrong. Actually, we are not by nature evil. We are by nature actually good. You know, uh, Adam, Adam fell, but by nature Adam was good. He, 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 and we don't inherit a fallen nature from, from Adam. Um, we only become guilty before God as we start to do wrong things. But actually, we are, we are good. So his starting point was, unlike Augustine, that we are fallen. His starting point was, actually, no, we are good. All of us are good. And we just, over, you know, we just decide to do wrong things, and that's what displeases God. And so he had this great big fight with Augustine in, in, the, in the fifth century. And uh, in AD 431, the the Council of Ephesus declared Pelagius to be a heretic and said, no, actually, Pelagius, you have got it wrong. It was all about God and His grace and Him reaching into our life. It's got nothing to do with our goodness. It's got nothing to do with us deserving salvation. It's got to do with everything with God's mercy. And, And so this kind of battle was won in one level in the 5th century. But again, now in the Reformation, another guy, um, when the Reformers started preaching what they were doing, there was a Dutch theologian called Joseph Arminius. 
And he picked up on some of the things that Pelagius taught, and he began to oppose the idea that we are saved purely by grace. And he said that actually um, God wants all people to be saved, and so he's given us this thing which he called a prevenient grace, which is, um, he said, we all have an ability to choose what is right, but until we choose to do what is right, God doesn't save us. You see what, where this comes again? And so it's the same kind of idea that Pelagius had. And what, what, Pelagius, uh, what Arminius said is that actually, if you don't live right, you can lose your salvation. That's what he taught. So he said, actually, you can fall away from grace. You can decide to believe. And then actually, you can fall away from grace if you don't consistently do the right thing. Can you see what this leads to? This leads to a life of legalism. This leads to a life of fear. This leads to a life of, of constantly being unsure if you've done enough to be saved. Do you understand where I'm, where I'm coming from? And so I, I want to say that because um, in 1618, there was a synod that uh, met in Dort in, 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 in Europe. And again, the church said, actually, Arminius, you've got it wrong. And they, they, they affirmed uh, the, the, the Protestant tradition of Luther and Calvin. But I want to say to you, why am I saying this to you? Because there are some Christians that still live like that. Still live like that. Motivated out of place of fear. Never knowing if they've pleased God. Never knowing if they've decided enough to, to live a godly life. You, you hear what I'm saying? And I'm saying, I don't want you to live like that. I want you to know that you're saved by grace. I want you to know that good work in your life comes out of a relationship of love and it's got nothing to do with your being saved or not. All right? You are already saved. I want to root you in that. Why? Because we want to joyfully live, live our lives. And what I want to speak about this morning is really saying that God wants you to have an inheritance that motivates you to live. Yes? And we, we have a wonderful inheritance in this life and in the life that still is to come. And why do I say this? Because if you live from a, a place of fear, jeepers, I'm sorry about that, Helen. I'm really becoming an old man. I'm frothing and... Right? Why do, I say, why, why do I say it's so important to know this? Because if you live constantly from a place of fear, never knowing that you've done enough, what inevitably begins to happen is that you start to get depressed. You start to get down. You start to think, God, am I ever going to please you? And Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a brilliant little thing um, in a book that I'd like to quote you, uh, he, he called this little paragraph, preach to yourself. And I want to encourage you to preach to yourself, okay? And this is what you preach. You don't preach about what you need to do. You preach about what God has done for you. That's the key, all right? And this is what, uh, what um, modern Lord Jones says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself talking, Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you, and they bring back the problems of yesterday. Well, someone is talking, and who's talking? It's yourself talking to you. Instead of allowing this self to talk to you, you start talking to that self. Why are you downcast, O my soul, said David? His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, Self, 
listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you. And the main art in spiritual living is knowing how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself and preach to yourself and question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn to yourself and encourage yourself and challenge yourself and exhort yourself and say to yourself, put your hope in God. What He has done, the cross, all He's achieved for you. Put your hope there. Not on what I must do and have I done enough. No, put your hope in God and what He has done. He has done enough. The fullness of Christ. Instead of muttering in a depressed, unhappy way, remind yourself of God, who He is and what He has done and what He has pledged Himself to do for you. And having done all of that, end on this great note. Defy yourself defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world, and say, I shall yet praise him with the help of him who is the health and the countenance of my God. It's old-fashioned language, but he's saying a brilliant thing, isn't he? I want to encourage you this week. Don't get focused on yourself and what you might not have done. Lift your eyes and focus on what Jesus has done for you. He has done enough. The cross is sufficient in every way. You know what we're saying if we say we can lose our salvation and that actually if we don't behave well, God is going to remove salvation from us? We are saying our choice is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. That's what we're saying. We are dishonoring the work of the cross. And I want to encourage you, change your mind if you think like that. And live joyfully and live freely and know that God has a great inheritance and there's a reward for you here on earth as you joyfully serve Him and He wants you to enjoy that. It's got nothing to do with you being saved. It's got everything to do with an inheritance that He has for you. You're already saved. If you believe in Jesus by faith, you are saved by grace. The devil will try and distract us. And so, why do I say that? Well, if you, if you think of Hebrews chapter 12, in the first two verses, it says of Jesus, this is how Jesus lived. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how Jesus lived. He lived with a sense of destiny and reward for what was coming on the other side of the cross. For the joy of what was coming on the other side of the cross, he endured a whole lot of stuff on earth so that he could sit at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And so... I want to say to you, as a believer, you are saved, and God has a great reward for you. He's got a great inheritance for you here on earth and in heaven that He wants you to enjoy. And you can joyfully pursue that without fear, without compulsion. You can just joyfully get on and live your life knowing that God has reward for you and inheritance for you. And I'm not talking here, um, I want to point this out right at the beginning. I I'm talking about spiritual rewards. I'm not talking about necessarily about money, about a bigger house in heaven. I'm not talking about that stuff, all right? I'm talking about a spiritual reward, and we're going to look at that this morning. Um, and I'd like to do that in three contexts. I want to look at Abraham, our old friend. I want to look at the Mosaic law and how inheritance was understood under the law. And then I want to I look at grace and how we can understand our inheritance under the grace of God. Is that all right? So let's look at Abraham first, briefly. 
Did you know that in the Old Testament, there are 650 references to inheritance? In the New Testament, there are 48 verses that refer directly to our inheritance. God has something set aside for us. And the Old Testament speaks clearly of that, and so does the New Testament. And so in Genesis um, 15, you know it well. I've quoted it over the last couple of weeks. God gives this pro promise to Abraham, and he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you a land to possess. And he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And I said to you last week that part of Abraham's challenge is that every great promise God gave him, he had to, by faith, overcome doubt to inherit the promise. And so here God says, I've got a land for you. I want to bless you. I want to give you a physical inheritance. And Abraham already has to overcome doubt and, and say, okay, by faith, God, how's that going to happen? And so he has to be begin this um, journey of faith. And really the question that Abraham had is the same question for you and I. How do we possess the inheritance that God has for us? Uh, we know that Abraham was saved by faith. Genesis 15, he believed God. We know that he was saved. And so... In the context of Abraham's life, if we go to Genesis 22, we read this amazing story. Um, when he's prepared to offer up his son Isaac, God says to him, By myself I have sworn, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand is that like on the seashore. And your offspring will possess the gates of his enemies and your offspring will shall... Uh, um, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so there's a clear connection here in terms of Abraham's life. He believes by faith, but what unlocks the inheritance of God in his life is his obedience. And as he learns to hear the voice of God and he obeys the voice of God, more and more of the inheritance of God is unlocked for him. And here at the end, when God God says to him, I can see that you love me because you're prepared to offer up your son. Now through your, 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 your offspring, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and all the peoples on the world are, are, are going to know about me because of, of this promise I've made to you. It's beautiful. As, we, as he obeys, God releases to him. And then if we move to the next kind of big uh, part of Israel's history, uh, Moses you know the story of Moses. The Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt, and Moses leads them out, and they've been given um, the law in the desert. God says to his people, this is how I want you to live, and the law is there to help you to see how I want you to live. And, um, but they are still looking towards the promise of the promised land, aren't they? They're still looking towards the inheritance of the land flowing with milk and honey. And so let's look at what inheritance looks like under the law. Under the law of Moses, do you understand? I want to clearly again say to you this morning, you and I, we are not under the law of Moses. Yes, we are under the Holy Spirit. We are under grace. We are not under the law of Moses. But for the people of Israel, this is what it looked like. In Leviticus 20, you will inherit the land and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the Lord your God who have separated you from other peoples. And so here we see that for the Jewish nation, under the Mosaic law, God was giving them an inheritance, but there was something that they had to do to take the inheritance. And so for us, it's the same. God makes a promise to you and I, but there's something out of obedience that we have to do to fully take that inheritance for our lives. Yes? So as we hear the voice of the Spirit and God's promises to us, we have to engage with that and take the inheritance that God has for us. And there's so many things that God has promised, so much of, 
of his kingdom that he wants us to take hold of. Uh, I love that New Testament scripture says the, the kingdom is taken by violent men and violent men take it by force. There's something about when the Spirit of God motivates you and changes your heart that you begin to engage with God's promises and you are determined to see them worked out in your life. It's, not, it's, not, it's kind of like you get courage when the Holy Spirit comes to engage and to say, yes, there's an inheritance for me. And you, you, it stops you being passive. The Holy Spirit, there's no fear in the Holy Spirit. Only love. And love motivates and says, okay, I want you to engage with that and take it for your life. The interesting thing is that under the law, under the Mosaic law, the priests, the Levites, had no physical land at all. If you, if you, know, if you know the story, all the tribes got land except the priests. And why was that? Well, we, 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 we read in Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 12, the Levites, that's the priests, will do service in the tent of meeting, and they will bear the sins of the people. It shall be a perpetual state throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel you shall have no inheritance. The answer is, why, why is that? Well, the answer is that the priests were to be a picture for the whole of Israel, the whole of the nation that they represented, and that was that the priests were to be totally dependent on God for everything. They were not to depend on land or money or any other physical thing. They were to depend totally on God for their provision. The priests were a picture for the whole of the people of God of what he wanted as a relationship with people. You getting what I'm saying? And so they had no physical inheritance because Yahweh was their inheritance. And remember when I read uh, uh, last week about Abraham, what, when he was doubting God's physical uh, provision for him, what did God say to him? Abraham, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And the, here the priests, it's the same for the priests. Abraham living by faith, the priests living in relationship with God, it was the same for them. I am your inheritance, God says to the priests. You, you don't need to worry about the other stuff. The full inheritance that you want to enjoy is in me. Totally in me. Yahweh. All right? And their privilege, the priest's privilege, is that, were, that they could experience the presence of God in the most tangible way in the tabernacle. Their delight was to serve God and be directly under of His anointing and His control. And that had nothing to do with the physical inheritance of the rest of the tribes of Israel. But it's, it's clear from the Mosaic picture that to enjoy this inheritance as, as, as a, one of the tribes of Israel, you had to obey the law. Yeah? The law that God gave the, the, uh, Moses. To enjoy the full inheritance under the law, you had to obey every one of those laws. And so you know Deuteronomy 28, the blessings of God and the curses of God. God says to his people, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I'm not going to bless you. So that's how the, 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 the tribes lived. But Abraham, we read already, was blessed because of his obedience and his faith. And that was before the law was giving was given. So under the Mosaic law, the key to in, inheriting God's blessing for, 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 for the life of their lives was the law and obeying the law. But under Christ, under grace, under faith, we are no, no longer under that law, and Christ has fulfilled and superseded all of that law. So how do we understand inheritance there as people that live under the new covenant of grace? Well, 
I'm trying to help you see this morning that when we come to the New Testament, uh, inheritance is not an automatic thing just because we are saved, right? In, uh, what is sure is that we can have a relationship with God and that we have a place in heaven and we don't have to fear judgment. That's, that's, what, that's what it means to be saved. But our inheritance, we still have to cooperate with God to see the fullness of our inheritance as New Testament believers. And so I want to kind of uh, just paint a picture f for you of, of what I, I think that doesn't mean <laughs> and what I think it does mean, all right? So we're going to do the negative and positive thing again. And so when I talk about inheritance, I'm not talking about some distant promise of paradise in heaven one day as the sole thing that God has for us. No, I, I believe that as God saves us, when God saves us, we have an amazing inheritance here on earth as well to enjoy. And why do I say that? Because in Acts 2.41 it says, those who accepted God's message and were baptized, about 3,000 were added to that day, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it says there's an amazing community of faith that happens there and then. It's not just about paradise, it's about there and then. They began to enjoy God's presence amongst them on earth in a profound way. And at the same time, I don't believe that as we, we serve God as New Testament believers, that we must be in, a, in a, a kind of secular way motivated by reward. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we kind of we, we get so consumed with the blessings that we, be, we begin to miss the one who's blessing us. Why do I say that? Well... This is what Paul says writing to the Philippian church. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them dung, says Paul. All these things, these earthly things. I consider them dung that I might gain Christ. You hear the, the theme? For Abraham, for those that the priests of God under the law, for Paul, it's the same thing. The reward, the reward that they're seeking with all of their heart is God's presence. They're seeking Him. They're not, they're not distracted by all the stuff, all the other stuff that goes around living on earth and blessings and possessions. They're not, they're not, they're not concerned with that primarily. What they're primarily concerned with is knowing Christ above all things. That's the privilege that you and I have as New Testament believers, to enjoy the presence of God, to know Him, to be transformed by Him, to, 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 to know Him above all things as, as Savior and Lord and King in our lives. So I also believe when I'm talking about inheritance, I, I, I believe we don't get all the, all the picture. Our generation doesn't know it all. That's why I love church history, because church history shows us that God has been restoring His inheritance to the church over centuries and centuries, and as we move forward in the plan that He has for history, we begin to understand a little bit more of the inheritance that He has for us. And we don't go back once something is restored. Are you with me? That's why I say, don't go back to living under fear. Don't go back. Why? Because Jesus has bought salvation for you. You don't have to live in fear. Don't be like Arminius. And begin to say, oh, well, I don't think that's true. And I don't, no, no, no. God has done something amazing for you and I. And we can live in the freedom and the joy of that. Don't go back. God has a reward for you. God has an inheritance for you. Amen. 
And I'm also skeptical. I'm just finishing this section now of what I don't think inheritance is. I, I am, I'm skeptical that it's a formula thing. That if we just do this, then God automatically is going to do that. I, I'm not, I don't believe it's like that. I, I don't believe that we must... Um, our hearts need to be consumed with Jesus. And as, as our hearts and our passion for Him grows, He does some stuff along the way. But it's not like a, I put my 10p in and I get a sweet out. That's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life works as I engage with Jesus and I let Him transform me. He begins to do things in my life that I don't even expect. And I don't go after those things. They're a great blessing. But He is my very great reward. And here I want to I say that that's what inheritance is not, what reward is not. Here is what I think it is. Here's the positive part. There is a reward in your life for meekness. There is a reward for that. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it in Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus promised to you and to me. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that say they are not strong in themselves, that know that they need God to engage in their lives and help them. Blessed are meek people. You know what our world says? Blessed are the arrogant. Blessed are the ones that stand on top of each other to get to the top of the pile. Blessed are they that go after wealth because they will get more and more and more. Jesus says, no, blessed are you that are meek, are humble, gentle, who know me. You will inherit the earth. Come on now, that's good news. It is incredibly good news. The whole of the world is yours. Everything in it is to be enjoyed by you as a son and a daughter of God as you simply humble yourself before him. He says, all of this is yours anyway. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Don't get anxious. You can live free. There's a reward for turning the other cheek. <laughs> There's a reward for not responding when you're falsely accused, when people say stuff about you that's not true. There's a reward for not justifying yourself. There's a reward when um, you show meekness in every area of your life. There's a reward for not trusting in your own strength and living in the reality of trusting God with all of your heart. There's a reward for you when you say, I am weak, but He is strong. There is a reward for you. You know what amazes me every time I, I, we come to Easter and... <laughs> And Jesus is there, and Pontius Pilate is before him. And he's making all these accusations, and people are saying this about Jesus. What does the Scripture say? The Scripture says, Jesus said nothing in his defense. <laughs> because he knew there was great reward for him in heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Secondly, there is a reward for you and for me for leaving everything to follow Jesus. Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter said, See, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? It's like, it's a good question, Jesus. Yeah? Peter says, Oh, well, we've left everything, Jesus. Now, now what do we get? I mean, we've left everything, our livelihood, our provision for our families. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone, you and me, everyone, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, 
or children's or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You lose nothing by following Jesus. You gain everything by following Him. His promise to you, can we trust the words of Jesus? Yes, we can. His, pro His, His, His um, promise to you, every one of us that believe by faith, that are leaving behind some stuff on this earth so that we can follow Him with all of our hearts. His promise to you, His promise to me is in heaven there is great reward for you one day. And you will enjoy some of that now on earth. But there's great reward from you, for, for you. Don't give up. Persevere. The reward is coming. That should be our confidence. That Jesus is our provision. That He's our healing. He's our security. He's our destiny. He is the fullness of everything that fills everything in every way. I hope that encourages you this morning. There's reward for meekness. There's reward for leaving everything to follow Jesus. There's reward for suffering with Christ. Romans 8.17 And if we are children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. There's reward for you. Even when you're going through hard times, as you persevere, there's reward. Why? Because you are heir together with Christ. And even the Romans 8, 28, we've said it so many times. All things work together for good. All the rubbish things also. Uh, someone said to me that, I can't quite believe that. How can the bad things be working for good? Well, this is the miracle of grace. This is, this is the gospel. This is the amazing thing that God takes those things and He works them into His plan so that all things become the best thing that God has for us. It's incredible. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's the power of the gospel. That even the bad stuff, God works it for good in our lives. So, because we are heirs together with Him. Let that encourage you. Becoming like Jesus is a reward for you and for me. The technical word is sanctification, isn't it? We are sanctified. We are made more and more like Christ. Acts, two, uh, Acts 20, 32. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Yes, there's an inheritance for us as we become more and more like Jesus. There is reward for us in our lives as we become more and more like Jesus. He changes us by the power of His Spirit. There's reward for perseverance. Acts 26, 18. Open the eyes, Lord that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of the devil to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and take a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. There is reward as we persevere. There's reward for serving the Lord wholeheartedly. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, Paul writing to the Colossian church, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. That is your great reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We were talking at the parenting seminar yesterday about a whole lot of stuff. You know there's reward that, that comes for having a good attitude towards your husband or wife? There's reward in that. Absolutely. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, Showing honor to her, 
as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs together with you of the grace of the Lord Jesus, so that your prayers might not be hindered. And there's a challenge, guys. Perhaps God's not answering our prayers because we've got a terrible attitude towards our wives. <laughs> yeah? That's what the Scripture says. Husband, honor your wife. Love her. Cherish her. Why? So it might go well and God will hear your prayers. <laughs> this is a good motivation for husbanding, all right? Reward comes to us for overcoming sin. What's the time? I'll, another 10 minutes and I'll be finished. Reward comes by overcoming sin. Resist the devil, says James, and he will flee from you. He who overcomes shall inherit these things and will be God's son, and he shall be called my son. There's reward as we, as we overcome sin. And then lastly, reward comes by faith, and this is the part we don't like, and patience. Yes? Hebrews 6.12, as we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end, that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God has promises and inheritance for you and I. We need to have faith and patience and perseverance to trust Him for the fullness of those things in our lives. Amen. And so here's the key difference between inheritance under the law and inheritance under, the gra under grace. Under the law, obedience to the law was required. You had to fulfill every one of those laws to have the full inheritance. Under grace, all you have to do is obey the voice of the Spirit of God. <laughs> what a good deal. All I have to do is listen to God's voice and hear what He says and obey what He says, and I enjoy the full inheritance of God that He has for my life. Come on, that is good news. That is such good news. You can receive the full inheritance of God for your life by hearing and obeying the voice of the Spirit. It starts with us being saved. We know that from Romans 4. And Galatians 3 makes the same point. Uh, God gave the promise to Abraham. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs of the same promise. That's Galatians 3.18. But Paul also makes it clear that through ungodliness, we can block some of the inheritance of our lives through sin. So uh, let me just go to um, the scripture here. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually or moral, the idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And, but here's the encouraging point. And some of you were like them, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so Paul's point in this portion is that thing that what blocks the way to our full inheritance is, is sin in our lives that we, we are refusing to repent of. And surely this is one of the great motivators for living a holy life, a godly life, 
There's a possibility for great blessing in our lives. There's a possibility. We are already saved. We know that. We're not worried about that anymore. But there's a possibility to know the fullness of God's blessing in our lives. It simply comes as we obey the, the voice of the Spirit. And uh, just to be, make it very, very practical, we can lose something of that inheritance if we disobey God. So, for example, husbands, when I said to you the, to, to now, honor your wife so that you can, things can go well with you, there's a choice for you right there. It's not going to affect whether you're saved or not. But actually, you can choose not to honor your wife, and it's not going to go well for you in your marriage. That's part of what I'm trying to say. Are you with me? We can block the fullness of inheritance in our lives if we don't obey the voice of the Spirit. So God says, this is how I want you to live for your sake. No, we saved, we understand that, but so that you can enjoy the fullness of blessing in my life, in your life. What is the fullness of blessing? Righteousness, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness. These are the things God wants us to enjoy. And these things can be blocked in our lives. It's not that we get unsaved. No, we're still Christians, but we cannot enjoy, we don't enjoy the fullness of those things if we disobey Him and we disobey the voice of the Spirit. Are you with me? So if we want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, what do we do? We hear the voice of the Spirit, and when God says something to us, we say, yes, Lord, I hear you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change that. I'm going to learn to live like that. Help me by the power of the Spirit that I might become more and more like your son, Jesus. And the great promise is that there's a mystery in this as well. That as we do those things here on earth, there's a mystery in this because the promise of Jesus is, is that actually you're also storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. It's amazing, isn't it? So there's, as we just live like this, there's joy for us here on earth and we, we enjoy some of these things here and there's fruit on earth. But at the same time, we are building up for ourselves an inheritance that we will fully enjoy one day in heaven. I want, I, I want, to, I want to encourage you to engage with what I'm saying this morning and to determine in your heart to obey the voice of the Spirit in your life. Whatever small little thing He is telling you to do because He's got a great inheritance for you. He's got a great reward that He wants you to enjoy here on earth, His righteousness, His peace, every spiritual blessing here on earth. He doesn't want that to be blocked by sin and disobedience in your life. If He's putting a, uh, His finger on something in your life that He wants you to change, it's not because He's saying, I'm going to take, um, you're not going to get to heaven one day. He's saying, I want you to enjoy something more of me. And that's getting in the way. That's why He's saying it. Can I just say this outright? You do not have to fear hell if you love Jesus. I, I, I hate it when preachers try and motivate people out of fear that are Christians by threatening them with hell. This is not the gospel. Those that do not know Christ better think about hell. <laughs> Those that know Jesus, you don't have to fear hell at all. You don't even have to think about it ever again. Why? Because you are saved. It is sufficient. Jesus' blood has saved me. And on that basis, God says, I have eternal life for you. You don't have to think about that anymore. You don't have to worry about that anymore. What you have to concern yourself with is hearing the voice of the Spirit so that you can enjoy the fullness of God's kingdom in your life here on earth. That's what you have to just give yourself to. God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to pray for today? Who, who, who do you want me to forgive today? Because I want to know right now the fullness of your spirit, righteousness, peace, joy, grace, all of those things. I want to know the fullness of those here on earth now. 
and to endure the fullness of them one day in heaven. Are you with me? This is how we live. We live joyfully, freely by the power of the Spirit because He loves us, because He has a great inheritance for us. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to insecurity. Talk to yourself. Speak to yourself of what God has done for you and what He wants to, you to understand so you can enjoy the fullness of your life here on earth joyfully, freely, wonderfully. Amen? God bless you. Let's pray. Uh, my, my iPad is full of speckles of um, spit. I'm turning into my father. Isn't that true? Eh? Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for just being able to come as your people and enjoy who you are. I want to thank you for the great gift of worship that we can just sing of our love for you. Even in doing that, you transform us and make us more and more like Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we can just come and worship so freely and be transformed. Thank you for your word that shapes our hearts and our minds and changes us. Holy Spirit, help us to be good learners. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fear hell. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Thank you, you're making all things new. Thank you, Lord, that you have an inheritance for us here on earth. Your righteousness, your peace, your joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, thank you that when you, when you speak to us and say, I want you to change that in your life, it's not to make us nervous of eternity. It's just so that we can enjoy the fullness of what you have for us here. Thank you. Thank you that you're not a vindictive God. Thank you that you're a loving Father. And Father, I pray that uh, this week you would enable all of us to hear the still small voice of the Spirit saying, do this. I'd love you to do that so that we can begin to enjoy more of your kingdom here on earth. That we, can, we, we would begin to enjoy more of your Spirit's fruit in our lives. Thank you. This is the great reward and inheritance that we can enjoy. Just as the priest did, just as Abraham did. Thank you. We're not under the, the, those rules anymore. All we have to do is obey your voice, and that is what pleases you. And so, uh, Lord, I pray for this wonderful church, every single person, every believer here, that they would know the freedom and liberty that comes through Christ, and that every one of us would live in that freedom and liberty as we love you with all of our hearts. And we pray this in the precious, precious name of your son, Jesus. Everyone says, Amen. Amen. What's the time? Oh, 20 minutes early. I want to invite you to stay for coffee. I want to invite you to hang out, build some friendships, enjoy each other. That's part of the blessing that we can enjoy on earth is each other. You are a blessing to me. I hope I'm a blessing to you. Let's enjoy each other. Let's have some coffee or tea. Stay for a while and hang out and make some friends. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We'll see you tonight for those of you that come to Sunday Night Cafe. Thank you.